I used to write at night, and I was writing the novel about Antonio. So it was just going to be a childhood novel about this boy growing up in this small town in New Mexico. And one night, I felt something behind me, and I turned, and there was this woman, older woman, dressed in dark, and she asked me what I was doing, and I said, I'm writing a story about Antonio, about my childhood. And she said, well, you're never going to get it right unless you put me in it. And I was surprised. I said, what? And she said, yes. And so then I asked her, well, what's your name? She said, Ultima. And that was the inspiration that changed the novel completely. It was no longer going to be a kind of Huckleberry Finn on the Pecos River. (laughs) Her spirit was now in it, and I had to go deeper into that world of, of the shaman, of spirituality, of conflicts of the soul that Antonio has to solve. That was NEA Literature Fellow and National Medal of Arts recipient Rodolfo Anaya talking about his classic novel, Bless Me, Ultima, a trailblazing book of Chicano literature and one of the titles selected by the NEA's Big Read program. Welcome to Artworks, the program that goes behind the scenes with some of the nation's great artists to explore how art works. I'm your host, Josephine Reed. Published in 1972, Bless Me Ultima tells the story of six-year-old Antonio, who lives in northern New Mexico during the Second World War. When the book opens, Ultima, a traditional healer, or curandera, has come to live with the family. And she serves as a teacher to Antonio as he tries to resolve competing tensions in his life between his mother and his father, between his home and his school, between the Catholic religion and the curandera's spirituality. In many ways, the book echoes Anaya's own background. So when I had the chance to speak with him, I began our conversation by asking Rodolfo how much the book reflected his own experiences growing up. Bless Me Ultima is uh, quite autobiographical in the sense that I was writing a story about my childhood, my hometown, where I grew up, Santa Rosa, New Mexico, on Old Highway 66 and the Pecos River. So a great deal of that uh, environment, landscape, people got thrown in the novel. You grew up in a town like Antonio's. Did your family have the same kind of cultural conflicts that Antonio's parents did? His mother's family is so rooted to the earth. They're farmers. Where his father's family, they're more like the wind. Well, in a a sense, yes. My father was what you would call a cowboy, a vaquero. He worked out in the ranches with cattle. And my mother came from um, farmers down in the valley. They... People had settled there centuries ago and farmed. They had beautiful orchards and farms. So I pick up that part of essential conflict, as you say, and work it into the novel. One thing, of course, is when one uses autobiographical material, um, you fictionalize it. So in, in the process of writing, a great deal of that material becomes fiction. Of course. But let me just ask you this. Were you drawn when you were a child more to one parent's way than another? No, not really. Again, that's part of the conflict that I set up for the main character, for the little boy, Antonio. I started out to write um, rites of passage novel to take Antonio through 
the experiences of um, school, church, and seeing the violence, some of the violence that, that occurs, the death that occurs. And very quickly, it became more than just a rites of passage uh, a la Huckleberry Finn. What I discovered was that it was far more interesting for me to to go into Antonio's dream world and, and talk about, write about his dreams, to talk about symbolism that came out of those dreams, and to talk about mythology and legends. And that uh, involved going deeper into my own subconscious and digging out uh, the symbols that occur in the novel. People talk a lot about numbers that occur and symbols and all of that I had to put into Antonio so that he could struggle with his learning. What What is he going to learn eventually uh, about the, the people and the time and the place, more important, about human nature? Well, he's a child who is struggling with spirituality and different aspects of it. There's the spirituality of his mother and the Catholic Church. And then there's a different kind of spirituality, I think, that his father has as as a man of the plains, the cowboy. And then Ultima has another spirituality that she introduces Antonio to as well. Uh, Again, this is uh, part of this tremendous conflict that I want to put into Antonio. His father is a cowboy and used to uh, freedom of the, the, the horse, these are cowboys, and they're used to that kind of freedom, working out in the land and uh, calling uh, nobody boss, you know. They're independent. Ultima comes along and illustrates, shows to Antonio the love of the land, the, the very deep love of nature, that nature has a soul, that nature is animated, that all plants, that everything is to be respected, that, that she can use the plants to heal people, but she talks to them. She says, come and help. And then the mother is a Catholic, very traditional Catholic, grew up in the church, and she wants Antonio to be a priest, to follow in the ways of, uh, of her ancestors. And these are the conflicts that I present, Antonio. And, and then there's the fourth one, you might say, and that is the golden carp. I just wrote that down as you were talking. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah, and that becomes really paramount you know, very crucial to his upbringing. One of the boys of the town, uh, of course, all the boys go fishing, but Kiko introduces him to this beautiful golden carp that swims in the in the river. And no one can see the golden carp except a few chosen people, and that would be Ultima. She knows about him. And that would be some of the boys. And so the theme of innocence is drawn into the novel, you know, do you have to be innocent to see such beauty, the beauty in nature that is raised to a higher level and, uh, again, creates a conflict in Antonio? Uh, where is the truth? Where is the ideal? What am I to believe in? This beautiful golden carp that I have seen or the god of the church that my mother teaches me so, again, it's a, a lot of conflict for this small boy. It sure is, because so much of this novel is about him learning how to see and observe and to see what's there. In the very beginning of the novel, Ultima comes to stay with a family. Ultima is the curandera, uh, means she's a healer. She's helped people 
in the small towns, in the ranches, all her life. And she takes Antonio's hand and he describes it as a whirlwind. He describes it as, for the first time I could see the beauty of the llano, the open plain, the, the beauty of the river and the trees, the, the hum of the earth itself. And so that whole idea of human touch and how important it is uh, becomes crucial to the novel. Antonio will witness uh, very violent deaths, and he'll be right at the kneeling beside the person uh, that is dying, and each person will ask him for a blessing. And so the whole question revolves around, can a child who is innocent provide this blessing at the end of life? And this is what Antonio is learning from all these different people. You know, we've talked about the spiritual mixture that that's happening, and, and it's so much, I think, a part of the country because you have Hispanic culture and Anglo culture and a lot of give and take there. But what's interesting is how the indigenous culture and those ways still persist and inform both. In many respects, I think Bless Me Ultima is a, a novel about the indigenous, that is, what was in place before the Spaniards came into New Mexico? What was in place before the, the Anglo-Americans came? And it is that kind of spirituality that, that does interest me and I think forms a really important part of the novel. And again, that goes back to Ultima and all the healing ways, traditional ways she has of helping people and to the golden carp that is that beauty in nature that we must all respect. And that, to me, is the indigenous sensibility that so often we have forgotten or trampled upon, really. It's interesting because you see that in many other cultures as well, and I'm thinking of Cuban culture or Brazilian culture. It's it's Catholicism, but it really is overlaid on top of, of deep indigenous beliefs, folktales, traditions. Yes, that's absolutely true, that one of the things about the migrations uh, and the colonization of the Americas is that those that have come from the old world, from Europe, have overlaid their culture on what was there, the existing culture. But those indigenous cultures uh, are so strong and have such deep beliefs in their their sense of spirituality, that they can't be wiped out. They, they persist and, and, in a sense, give the, the new culture a strength that, that they have. We see it here in New Mexico. The uh, Indian pueblos have their ceremonies all year long at different times, and we go and we attend, and, and we attend the dances, and we hear the singing, and it's uplifting. It's not us. It's not our world. But we recognize it as something that has been here for so long and is so close to the earth that it has a lot to teach us. And uh, we go away uh, better people when we, when we share that sense of spirituality with others instead of being so, it's just me, you know, I have the correct way. <laughs> that sense of understanding other people, I think, is very important. And I hope that's what the novel teaches. I know I get letters from students all over from all over the United States, and they all say that they got a sense of sharing from it, that they got a sense of understanding another culture. 
We talked about Ultima as a curandera and a healer, a traditional healer. And often, indeed, in the book, people would confuse that with someone who was a witch. One way to to understand uh, Ultima and, and the traditional healers of the New World is to look at them as a shaman. And the shaman is a person who helps the village that if somebody is sick, either physically or spiritually, the shaman can help. In the case of Ultima, the New Mexico healers, the curanderas at work here, all work on the level mostly of um, physical healing. That is, if, if you have a bad back or used to be in the old days, they would had a broken arm, they would set the arm. In the case of Ultima, I take her to a different plane, and that is the plane of the shaman, that woman uh, who can go in search of the soul to reintegrate, to, to bring that lost soul back to the person so that the person is made complete again. And so I go a little deeper into a traditional curanderismo than most people do. And I think that has to be made clear to readers that uh, this is not just the traditional healer that we have here in uh, in New Mexico and throughout the Latin culture, but that uh, I take her into that area of, uh, of witchcraft. Were there curanderas in your life when you were growing up? Oh, yes. The, the curandera is very familiar in our in our Latino culture in the Southwest, and as I say, in Mexico and all of Latin America. And they were there always to uh, to help people. It's also a world informed by folk tales, which is something else that's very important to all your work, not just Bless Me Ultima. And it's a culture of storytelling. Uh, yes, I grew up before there was television, and there was a few radio stations but the main ingredient in terms of creativity was listening to stories, the oral tradition in our family and all the extended family that uh, that I knew. Everybody told stories, and the stories come out of the cuentos. The cuentos are the folklore that came from Spain through Mexico into New Mexico, and there's hundreds and hundreds of fabulous fantastic, beautiful folk tales. And so I think that hearing those stories, uh, I attribute a lot of my wanting to be a writer to that oral tradition. I heard stories. I didn't read till I went to school. In fact, I didn't know how to speak English until I went to school. I grew up in a Spanish-speaking community. But I took with me that whole folklore, all those stories that I had heard. Was it difficult when you first went to school to begin the process of learning English then? Were your teachers sympathetic? Were they bilingual? I often ask myself, how did I make that transition from Spanish to English? And I think that I can't remember that far back, you know, when I was six or seven when I first went to school. Oh, I was lost. You know, I was really lost. It was a brand new world. And and going into a world where you don't understand the language was confusing. But we had excellent teachers. I think the key was people like, teachers like uh, Mrs. Maestas, I remember her, and Mrs. Russell, uh, that they knew the families, they knew where we came from, and they took us aside and, and made help us make that transition into English. So the key is is the teacher, you know. And that goes back to Ultima. She's also a teacher. She certainly is. 
Well, it's interesting that when I went to uh, the university, I wasn't prepared at all. I had good grades in high school, but I wasn't prepared for university studies. And and again, I remember it was a confusing world. Very few of us New Mexicans, uh, Chicanos, were at the university. And and again, it was the teachers. I found the right teachers that, wow, they led me into the book. And there was the magic, you know. The, the magic was in the book and the stories. And that's when I started writing. You know, I thought, if somebody else can do this, I can do it too. <laughs> so I started writing stories and poetry and that's how I got into it. How did you make the transition from the oral culture to reading? Did that happen at university or did that happen earlier, where reading really became a joy for you? Uh, that happened in the first grade when I, uh-huh. when I showed up at school, that, that I had to obviously learn English. If you're going to read the stories and participate in, in the education, um, that's when I learned how to read. And at that point also, reading really turned me on, I think, I was fascinated always by that that magic that could come out of the printed page, that the characters could come alive and the conflicts, you know, and I could read about the, the cowboys. That was fascinating. And so that uh, I was hooked, I think, from a very early age. Las Mi Ultima is one of the first books of Hispanic literature, Chicano literature, which means you're one of the creators of a genre, which, of course is both exhilarating but had to have been both a struggle and a challenge at the same time. Oh, yes. Writing in the um, 60s, I was, again, I was teaching uh, high school and writing at night. And then I had written other manuscripts, but the first one that I thought was good enough to show was Bless Me Ultima, and I began to send, send it out to publishers. And at those days, we only had New York publishers, and they'd all send it back. And then I discovered this small press in Berkeley, and that was a time of the Chicano movement, and uh, people were forming small presses, professors and students and community members. It was a very exciting time, and I sent my novel out, and it got accepted. Not only got accepted, but it won a prize, and uh, that was the beginning of of my career and the career of uh, a lot of other writers of that era, the 60s and the 70s. We were the Mexican-American population that, up to that time, had not produced a lot of written literature. And so finding the outlets, finding the publishers, that was tough. That was difficult. And um, I really admire the people that formed those small presses in the beginning and and published us. I I still love the, the small press and also the university presses that sometimes publish the writers that the big uh, publishers don't look at. Well, now, of course, Bless Me Ultima is taught in many high school classes, college classes. It's a big read selection. Are you surprised by the journey your book is taking? It's always a surprise. Every time that people invite me somewhere or I get an award or I've been writing for 50 years and the big read called me and said, we want to place Bless Me Ultima in, in the reading category of the big read. It's, it was still a surprise. And, you know, you're, I am grateful and, and thrilled. And my wife and I will sit down when something like this comes along and we'll say, wow, you know, that's fantastic. <laughs> because one never expects it, you know. You, you write. I write because I have to write. That's what I, that's what I became. And I have to do it every day. It's just like work. And 
And when something good happens out of that work, it's, it's just glorious. Aside from the work itself, Bless Me Ultima, as I mentioned earlier, you really helped create a genre, and there's an explosion of Chicano literature now from the Southwest, and that must be very gratifying and exciting. Oh, it's exciting. We, we were the early writers uh, of the Chicano and the Chicano movement. And there were there were many of us. I know that sometimes I'm given a lot of credit for being the one of the founders, but there were many of us that broke ground. It was a literary movement in this country that uh, should be studied, should be known. And uh, yes, and it's grown. That's one of the most satisfying parts is that now we have hundreds of writers, you know, and, and good novels and plays and, and poetry coming out. And we were at the beginning, so it is it is gratifying. You know, it's interesting because with a book like Bless Me Ultima, I mean, you created a novel that is so specific to place, to culture, to time, and at the same time, it clearly has universal strains and tells a universal story. And I'm always interested by how paradoxically, in its its specificity, novels can speak universally. That's part of that, what we call the magic of literature, that we can read any writer, whether it's contemporary or hundreds of years ago, and get into that world that they create. And I believe that that power of a story, of a poem, or of a drama shines through when that writer has captured the soul of the place that the the soul of his characters, the song, whether it be history or philosophy, suddenly shines through, and and we can participate in it. Uh, I think that's why the Big Read program is so important that it wants to take these stories to to the country, to people, to to have them participate in that uh, in that wonderful magic that that stories can. Uh, can have in them. And and to me, that's the soul that the writer has been able to put in the story. And you most certainly did in this one. Rudolfo Anaya, thank you so much for giving me your time today, for writing this wonderful, wonderful book, and for all of your contributions to literature. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was National Medal of Arts recipient Rudolfo Anaya talking about his novel, Bless Me Ultima. Bless Me Ultima is one of the books selected for the NEA's Big Read program. And a film based on the book is slated to begin production in October. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. Adam Campy is the musical supervisor. Original guitar music composed and performed courtesy of Jorge F. Fernandez. The Artworks Podcast is posted every Thursday at www.arts.gov. Next week, a conversation about the elusive art of translation with Natasha Wimmer, who's probably best known for her brilliant translation of Roberto Bellano's monumental work, 2066. To find out how art works in communities across the country, keep checking the Artworks blog or follow us at NEA Arts on Twitter. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening.